Welcome to our first ever podcast, YHTPOV. We will be sending one out with our table talk every week, and we hope you'll tune in and enjoy this segment. Uh, for our first interview, we'll be meeting with Rabbi Minchel and talking about how Hachnasat Rochim, Rosh Hashanah, and empathy all tie together. Um, I have a memory of, of when I was younger, carrying bowls of chicken soup to the table. Um, it was my job to serve the chicken soup to our guests, and sometimes it would it would burn my fingers. And my parents' table was usually packed with a lot of people growing up, every single Shabbat. And as a kid, I had no idea um, that this mitzvah could actually be mechaper, could atone for um, for sins. That I had no idea as a child. So you're referencing the, the well-known Gemara, which um, makes that connection, that even though today we don't have a Mizbeach, we don't have a Beit HaMikdash, and we certainly daven all the time that we want the Beit HaMikdash restored, but in lieu of the Beit HaMikdash and the Shulchan and the Mizbeach, we have now the the table of uh, in each Jewish home and that table serves as a kapara and Rashi on that Gemara mentions that the what is the element the aspect of the table it's not just having a table and sitting at the table it's having guests that really brings people closer together makes people feel really special when they're invited to your house and you bring them in and you engage them in a way which makes them feel part of your family and connected to you. It's interesting that you're raising this, uh, this issue just now because I literally just came from, I have a sort of a ritual each year, the first and second day of school. I try to make it my business to go into each class to welcome the students back because I really want the students to feel that they're at home and that each child feels that this is their place and that they really matter, they're special to us. But in particular, I make note of welcoming every new student to the school. Because a new student, obviously, is coming into a new place, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, whatever the grade, they're new. And they're coming in with some, maybe some trepidation and some concerns, how will they fit in, will they be accepted? And I asked the students, all the students, I said, do you remember the first day that you came to Yeshiva HaTorah? And like for the fourth graders, some of them have been here, this is their sixth year if they started in nursery, or their fifth year if they started in kindergarten. But they all raised their hands and remembered that first day because the feelings of that first day never leave you. So I asked the students, who wants to help each of these particular students whom I welcome, the new students, who wants to help them? I was gratified to see that every one of our students and every one of our teachers raised their hands and they're all ready to make sure that the other children feel good. I think that's a form of hachnasat orchim, even though we don't want new students to feel like they're orchim, but they themselves feel like orchim. They don't feel like it's yet their home, their place, but we're going to really be working hard to make sure as quickly as possible that all the students, including the very new students, feel right at home at Yeshiva HaTorah. 
And when you welcome somebody into your class, into your home, into your school, you're, you're empathizing with their experience, with that new experience. And, I, and, and having the students imagine that, you're drawing them into their shoes. Um, I think an important thing for parents to keep in mind over the Chagim is that when we welcome people, children can be part of welcoming people to their home. We can, we can ask our children um, to help set up a room for a guest who's sleeping over or to say, hey, what do you think that person needs to feel comfortable in our home right now? Um, and this is a, a beautiful way during uh, Rosh Hashanah and the upcoming Chagim to draw children into this wonderful mitzvah and help develop their empathy in the process. Wishing everybody a Shana Tova. Ketiva v'chatima Tova to one and all from all of us at Yeshiva HaTorah. Hoping that everybody had a meaningful Yom Kippur. Um, as you are designing your Sukkot and putting them up and decorating them, uh, Mrs. Lerma and I are here talking and thinking about um, design thinking, an important part of our curriculum at Yeshiva HaTorah. Okay, thank you so much, Ms. Klotenik, for inviting me to your new and improved office. Um, design thinking is one of my most favorite topics, and uh, often people ask me what, what exactly that means. Design thinking is people-focused problem-solving where we solve problems and we really we, we pay attention to who's involved and who's at stake and who, who are the people that are involved in this problem. What do you mean by that? So um, a lot of times people think that they can solve problems by sitting in a room by themselves and saying, oh, I can figure this out, uh, as opposed to saying, well, you know what, let me go out and let me talk to people who are involved in this problem, let me speak to them, let me get some feedback, and then I'll try to solve the problem after I've gained more knowledge from the people who, who are directly affected by the problem I'm trying to solve. Do you have any examples of, you know, times that we've done this with our students at school? Well, in fifth grade, we spend a lot of time um, talking about design thinking. And while this may not be, you know, directly a school example, but I did want to mention it, um, uh, the kids are often very intrigued by the idea of empathy in design thinking, especially at that age where they're, you know, starting to notice other people and their feelings. And we talk about the designer of the MRI machine, whose name is Doug Dietz, who designed the MRI machine, which was something spectacular to the world of medicine. And on, he went to go see it in action. He went to the hospital, and he was so proud and so excited. And he gets there, and he's looking at his machine. Isn't it so wonderful? And he notices that in the hallway is a little girl, tiny little girl, who's just crying and crying and, and sees the parents. And he hears the father say, it's okay. You know, we can do this. I, I told you, just, just you can do it. And, and he stops, and he says to himself, you know, I spent so much time designing and thinking I made this medical, you know, this fantastic achievement, but I'm making, I'm making little, little children cry. So I obviously did not solve the bigger problem here. If I'm supposed to be helping my patients, I never thought to actually think about who my patients are. And so he stood behind the little girl and he bent down on her level as she walked into the room. And as he recounts, all of a sudden the room looked totally different. It looked big and dark and scary and the machine was noisy. And he went back and said, I need to fix this problem and I need to redesign the machine so that uh, it will be more effective and, and the experience will be something that's more positive 
for for the patients and what's unbelievable uh, as he recounts is that the amount of children who they needed to um, put under went from you know some crazy high percentage to like two you know the number two two children a year or a month I don't remember exactly but it was much much smaller um, so he was focused when he designed it on the medical purpose of the machine and when observing it realized that the experience of going through it was also important maybe even just as important because and, and he can't talking, use and it just he realized that he cannot design something for someone or and a, gr- a group of people and not be in touch with them mm-hmm. to find out well what is this like for you and how do you feel when you do this how how, how could it be he says to himself that i designed something without speaking to all of these people that are going to use it so how do our students do that so you know what what we encourage the students to think about is um, directly related to design thinking to solving problems but we always end up with such great conversations in class about you know judging people and and really besides just taking the other side of the story besides just trying to think you know what else could be going on but just just empathizing just saying I don't just feel bad for you, but I'm going to try to to be you. I'm going to try to be in your shoes, and I and I always find that, um, especially at that age, like eleven, you know, almost twelve, it's something fascinating for them because they're starting to to really think a little broader, not just about themselves. Uh, and a lot of times they'll tell me that social issues revolve around not empathizing with their friends, mm-hmm. and we we always end up with a a really good conversation. Are there any products that you guys have made for each other? or? Well, um, our goal at the end of the unit, um, the teaching design thinking, is uh, we challenge the students to design some kind of a wallet or a bag or um, something similar to that that is directly designed for that client. Not something that necessarily you just found in a store. Something that after having spoken to this person and, and understanding who they are and what their needs are, this is something that they will then use specifically for them and they'll enjoy it because it has it it solves all the things that you know mm-hmm. all their needs fills all their needs we've been talking about empathy this year with our students and over the past couple weeks um we've been trying to put ourselves in their shoes and think about how it feels like maybe if you know something bad happens as we approach the holiday of sukkot though um a joyous holiday it's important for us to work with our children on on being happy for other people Um, which can be harder sometimes. Um, As a parent, it's difficult, but I remember reading in a parenting book uh, 15 years ago uh, that an excellent way to help children be happy for each other and work together is to try to eliminate competitiveness among siblings at home and kind of understanding and accepting everybody um, for who they are and as a team uh, examples of how to do this is is maybe you know one of your children might be a good student and one of them might not be. So talking about grades a lot at the table or uh, making a big show of one student's grade one child's grades over another that might that might encourage competitiveness. Um, you know you might have might one child who's more sensitive than another child. So you know celebrating what people are good at as a group without necessarily putting the competition there. Um, Mrs. Lermer, do you have anything uh, in the classroom that, that you do to have students work as a team rather than compete with one another? Well, not necessarily related to design thinking, but, um, but we do try to always validate um, you know, what, what somebody is saying. 
Um, so if there's a comment made that we don't necessarily agree with, which is, which is fine, and I encourage my students to know that that's okay. We don't have to agree with everyone, but first we, you know, we listen and we validate yes, but, you know, uh, I'm sorry, not yes, but, yes and, mm -hmm. um, which does come up in design thinking. You know, we, we could say yes, but, you know, I don't know, I don't think that's, but it, we really try in the classroom to say yes, and another way we can look at it is like this. Um, and um, we do, we, we, we put it on a big uh, poster in the classroom and we, we talk about it. And, and something you can, you, you, can, you can do at home also, which um, we've done, which I've learned from, from, uh, from design thinking is to have a little bell. And we've done this in class too. And when things start going, you know, when people start yes budding, just ring the bell and then it kind of like re refocuses everyone. Oh, no, 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 not yes, but, yes, and. Mm -hmm. So I guess working on language that builds teams yeah, is also sure. powerful. For sure. Uh, Mrs. Lermer, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Please look out for your table talk. It's um, related to Sukkot and Joy. Um, also, check social media to uh, sign up to read the book of the month. Wishing everybody a Chag Sameach and a Shabbat Shalom. Have fun. Welcome back, everybody. Hoping everyone had a nice Chag. Um, we're back from Sukkot, back in school. It was so nice to see all the students coming in. Um, this week's table talk about Parsha Bereshit, uh, look out for it. It focuses on how human beings are created in the image of God. And for that reason, we're supposed to be like God. We're supposed to be empathetic like God and creative like God. Um, Human beings are creative, enjoy creating, and children love to learn in a creative way. Um, I'm sitting here today with Mrs. Nicole Cohen. Hi, thank you so much for having me. She is our new fourth grade teacher and makerspace teacher, and I wanted to hear about how some of our students are learning through creation at Yeshiva HaTorah. Okay, so in, this, in the makerspace so far this year, um, there's a lot been going on. Um, in our classroom, there's a lot of hands-on learning. Uh, kids are working collaboratively to build projects, solve problems, experiment. Um, it's really a lot, it's very much about discovery and learning how to troubleshoot and redesign things. We're really trying to push kids to understand and accept the idea of failing forward. So what, give us an example of something fun that students have started creating this okay. year. So uh, last week we were working on a project where students had to build a platform only using matchsticks and clay. Um, a lot of kids were very confused by how to start and how to um, master or complete the project. Um, and because it was so open-ended and there were so many ways to finish the project that there was no right or wrong answer. Um, so did any of the students become frustrated or did they view it as like an exciting challenge? I think that actually when I gave out the materials, I thought kids would be frustrated, but I was actually really surprised and pleased to see that they were, because they had the freedom to start however they wanted, they just started and they went, they went crazy. A lot of kids um, started creating structures that I didn't even imagine possible. Um, the end goal was for a tissue box to be, to be able to be held on top of the platform. 
And the way that some kids were creating their structures was just really surprising. And they worked, believe it or not. So, um, so I was going to ask you, were most of them <laughs> able to get a tissue box Yes, on yes. I was expecting a lot of squares, um, a lot of different uh, 3D shapes. But it was really surprising and funny when I saw a lot of them just use that. Literally, they just piled up stack uh, matchsticks and they had them standing um, very neatly. And then they just took the clay and molded it on top mm -hmm. and it actually held out. Which was so very... each one was different because the kids were able to mm. free, like freely just use their own ideas to make it work mm -hmm. rather than just me telling them okay you do this now you know now try to fit in a triangle in there try to you know I didn't give them any direction at all mm -hmm. and because I didn't give them any directions they were able to just use what they know and then also from just having five minutes of experience and seeing how the materials work together and what they're able to do with the flexibility of the clay. They were able to figure it out on their own mm -hmm. that um, certain shapes are better to create platforms. Uh -huh. Rather than just having a sphere, it would make more sense to have um, a cube. So sort in the, the learning whole, process, yeah. why is it better to do it this way rather than you get up in front of the class and say, listen, a most sturdy platform is this way. How, how do students learn better this way? I feel like they learn better this way because it's not someone telling them. It's more of them just experiencing mm -hmm. the process. And it, them, the connection that they make is more, is more true. That's what I feel. So I guess they also learn when the platform falls. Yes. They learn yeah, yeah. like... They learn that, you know, this way doesn't work. Maybe I should consult with my partner and work together and figure out a different way. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not, and I tell kids, don't shut out one another because you haven't tried your partner's way yet. What so even if, even if, communication tool for yeah. that. So even if their way doesn't work, maybe there's something about their way that even though it's not great, maybe there's one point of it that is good. Mm -hmm. How can we take your method and my method and put it into one? That, and that is a perfect, life skill for them because that you know thinking that you have all the answers is never a good idea and learning how to cooperate with others is very important what what upcoming exciting projects do you have in store for us uh moving forward so this week with the third graders um and next week we will be we'll be learning the basics about um cars and how they are constructed oh wow and they're actually going to all design their own car and build them and then when they're done building them, we're actually, they're all gonna have an engineering challenge. And the challenge is going to be to get their cars to um, move as fast as, mm -hmm. as far as they can go. And um, sorry, they're trying to, the speed of the car and the distance of the car. Nice. They're gonna have a race for it. That sounds so fun. Um, when you process with them at the end of a lesson, are they self-aware of like what they learned or where they failed and were able to fix things? Are you, are you able through conversation to like yeah. guide yeah. them so, to that? Yes. Um, I, I prompt a lot of questions like, well, what do you notice about this part of the car? Is it, is it uneven? Um, are there pieces 
that are too short or too small? Does that impact um, how your car will be moving? Mm-hmm. Um, I like w- also part of the car is a, the, that we're creating is a wind-up car. Mm-hmm. So they have rubber bands to um, create some kinetic energy to get the car to start rolling. Mm-hmm. And someone today mentioned that if they were to have more rubber bands, they would have more energy. And uh-huh. some kids were even saying if we had shorter rubber bands um, and the wheel to pull them back further, right. then it's another way to create more energy. Uh-huh. So just by getting to touch the materials and uh, play with the materials, they start to realize how mm-hmm. they can use it to their advantage. And what about when you question them about some of the teamwork pieces and the trying out each other's ideas? Are they able to reflect um, maker yeah. spaces for for younger children? Yeah, I think it's it's very hard for them, but I think by demonstrating to them how, by clearly demonstrating to them how they need to be working together, mm-hmm. is super ven- beneficial to them. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of kids, when they say, "How am I supposed to work together?" With my partner, if there's only one one knot and one screw, how am I supposed to do that? Mm-hmm. So I have to physically show them, this is how you're going to be holding it. This is what your partner's job is going to be while you're holding these pieces together. So mm-hmm. that's how they all feel like they have a role. Mm-hmm. So I guess to just kind of take these kind of messages home um, from a parenting perspective, certainly uh, working together with siblings is important, but also giving students and children an opportunity to play and right. create yeah. and and kind of create without without rules necessarily you know yeah, maybe sure. after a long day at school i think it's very important for kids to be able to run around and be creative and and do things um you know with their own ideas because they will surprise us you know they yeah they definitely will well no idea like <laughs> what what they'll end up creating so thank you so much mrs cohen for um thank you talking for to me. us and um if you're a parent of a first, second, third grader, uh, make sure to ask your child, uh, hey, what are you doing in Makerspace? Uh, don't forget to print your, print your table talk and Shabbat Shalom. Sitting here on a rainy day at Yeshiva HaTorah thinking about upcoming Parshat Noach and the lessons we can learn about empathy and caring for others from Noach. Uh, Of course, look out for your table talk where uh, we will be reflecting on Amy Drash about how Noah cared for the animals and um, how we can think about animals and care for animals. I'm sitting here today with Maura Vivian, um, our early childhood director, because teaching empathy and love for all things, including animals, really starts in early childhood and even before that. So Maura Vivian, what do you have on your agenda for today? I'm so glad to be here. Um, Pesha found me on the way. I was running to greet our huge Teva that's coming to Yeshiva Hartower this afternoon, filled with animals and Noach, and our preschool children are very excited to go and greet Noach and his animals. And um, Ms. Klatenek found me and had me come into her office. And this is a fabulous topic because everything we want to know, we learn in, in kindergarten and in nursery how to treat our friends, how to treat each other, how to act when we're in a boardroom and we need to listen and to take turns and to focus on what our friends need or our colleagues need. Um, This is something that we already start to teach in in our preschool class. So how are you teaching our future board members and leaders of the world how to have empathy in kindergarten? Well, we like to um, 
sit children down um, when a situation arises. And I'll, I'll give you an example of something that we actually saw in the playground last week. There were two children involved in a game and there was a third child who was standing on the side and the, the child on the side felt very badly that he wasn't able to play with the other children. So we called those children over and um, we had a discussion with them. How do you think, um, I'll, I'll use pretend names, how do you think David felt that he was not able to play with you? And immediately the other two children said, very sad. And then we kind of brainstormed ideas of how we could involve more children in the game. Um, we could make another game that would include more children. We could tweak the current game so that everybody would be involved. And of course, the solutions are always best when they come from the students themselves. So before you fix the problem, you pause to make sure that the children understood how the other person felt. Of course, that's part of teaching empathy. Um, I think that understanding how another person feels is at the crux of all of our teaching because it makes us better people when we can understand the perspective of another person. Um, and that comes up repeatedly in a kindergarten or a nursery classroom. Two children are playing in the block corner and um, a third child takes a block from the other person and there, there's shock. Like, why are you taking my block? So uh, immediately we'll, we'll step in and we'll sit the children down in that area and we'll discuss um, the situation and we'll try to gain an understanding of what just happened, how the person felt, and what could be done to rectify the situation. And, and again, here the children come up with ideas and, um, and hopefully the next time they're playing in the block corner, the situation will be better. What are things that parents can do at home to you know, kind of give similar messages to the work that you're doing at school with the younger children? So it's always important for parents and teachers to be in touch. The lines of communication are really um, important and when children are um, having some difficulties, either getting involved in activities or um, doing things that, that help, that make other children feel excluded, it's important to let parents know how they can be our partners. Um, one of the, one of my most favorite things to recommend to parents is really role-playing. Um, and Shabbos is a great time for parents to role-play. You have a captive audience and um, children don't know that they're learning valuable lessons. So you act out scenarios. So what's a way to do that? So, um, sitting around with your kids on a Shabbat afternoon. So you come up with either before Shabbos, you can make a list of some different scenarios that you might want to reenact. Um, a game on the playground or a, a table toy activity or a game of trouble with a board and you act them out. You actually act them out with your child um, and you have the child role play different roles and the parents role play the different roles and then the child gains an understanding of what he or she could do next time that might be different. It's interesting that you're saying that because sometimes when I think 
regarding parenting. It's always like reactive. What are we going to say after this happens? But I like how you're inviting parents to be educators, just like educators are sometimes like parents. Parents are also educators and planning ahead, almost planning like a Shabbat lesson. Um, you know, that way you can get the language down and you can get a procedure down when things aren't heated in the moment um, to think about how somebody might feel. I, li- I really like that proactive um, idea. Is there anything else you want, any other message you want to give parents? about empathy? I think it's important to um, try to use examples in real life whenever possible. So if you're in a supermarket, for example, and you're looking at the person who's stocking the shelves and they look like they're stressed out because they're carrying such heavy boxes, to actually have a discussion with children about how that person might feel. All of those times when um, you're feeling things or you're seeing other people feeling certain things, to really talk to your children about those feelings. And you can even weave them into your Shabbat role play um, when, you, when you do those. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes it fun. And of course, we're always here. If somebody wants a list of scenarios, we'd be happy to provide that um, for parents to play act with their children. Mm-hmm. And um, we are very excited to be um, having our animals today and teaching children how we treat animals mm-hmm. and the importance of caring for Hashem's creatures. And we're looking forward to partnering partnering with everybody over the course of the year. Okay, look out for other messages from us um, about empathy in general and in the month of October, including everybody. Uh, like Mara Vivian was saying, um, especially on the playground at lunch, um, there are going to be lesson plans going on in all the classrooms about how to look out for people who might not be sitting with somebody else and you know what to say to them to include them. Wishing everybody a Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. And thank you for joining us, Mara Vivian. My pleasure.